Are your customers the kind who politely come and go and sometimes leave you little hearts on social media? Or are they actually obsessed with what you do? The difference between an incredible brand and all the others is how they create fans. Welcome to the Brand to Fan Show, where we unpack the phenomenon of fandom and how to cultivate affinity, loyalty, and trust to build more fans so you can future-proof your business. Here's your host, Lauren Teague. During our summer break of the Brand of Fan Show, you know, I spent a lot of time with other speakers and listening to a lot of speakers. And if you've also been hearing a lot of speakers, maybe at your company retreats and events, you can't actually turn the corner without bumping into a speaker or maybe a podcast or a book that talks about company culture, it's talking about burnout, it's talking about leadership. And that's because that's where managers and executives are focused today. And the more we talk about the brand to fan approach of cultivating fans, not followers here on the show, you know, I am actually more convinced than ever employees are an often overlooked opportunity for brands who don't actually realize their best advocates actually share the same email domains. So I needed to talk to someone who really understands culture and customers inside out. Meet Jim Knight. Jim is a keynote speaker on company culture and rock star leadership. He's a three-time author, entrepreneur, and the co-host of the Thoughts That Rock podcast, which always fills up my queue. No matter how high I stack my mom bun, I will never get it as high as Jim's own rock star hair. He's going to tell us how he gets that. Welcome, Jim Knight, to the Brand of Fan Show. Thank you, Lauren. I know we have been looking uh, to try and do this for quite a while, and I'm finally here, and I'm so thankful for the invite. So thank you so much. You're, you're speaking my language, especially with the hair bun. I like that a lot. Yeah, I got I got the tall hair. I broke out my only rock shirt that I could like easily grab. I usually show up in sports apparel, um, but for you, sir, I I pulled out my the one with the electric guitar on it from a from a local show here. Tell everybody what your background is and uh, and why you are the rock star keynote speaker. Yeah, I guess most people probably know me for my time at Hard Rock. I ran training and development for those guys for 21 years, but even if I go before that. Um, I felt like I was an entertainer. You know, my very first job was at a theme park, a local theme park in Central Florida, where I live still, uh, called Gatorland. Um, and I have stories from that. But, uh, you know, really having a music degree in performance and education, doing a lot of community theater um, and some background in restaurants. But really, those two decades with Hard Rock as a training and development person, I had a little bit of a stint as a middle school teacher, just always teaching and training. That was my jam. And I just, you know, started speaking on the side, really more as a goof. Somebody asked me to do it. Um, really, I think to talk about hard rock story, it wasn't even anything really thoughtful or leadership oriented. And I said, yeah, I'll go and do it. And you know what happens is sure enough, there's somebody in the back of the room who came up afterwards and said, hey, can you do this for my company? How much do you charge? And that's where the light bulb went off. And so about 11 years ago, I jumped ship and decided to do what I'm doing now. And, uh, I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm probably going to do this the rest of my life unless somebody says, you know, no moss, but I, I can't imagine that happening. Right now, I'm just going to plow through. I'm, I'm having fun. Awesome. You know, Hard Rock is definitely one of those like iconic brands that has built fans. You know, I remember back in the day when my parents would travel and sometimes they would bring back the, the glass, right? And it was a specific yeah. kind of glass. It had the logo. It had the the city on it now. I mean, I know they they still sold, and you can probably pick them up in every secondhand store as well probably. these days, right? But um, what was it like to be in that training development piece for a, a culture or a company that had that kind of you know iconic culture? Did they always have that? Is that something that you took on? Is it something that you got to modify or like help materialize as part of your role there? Yeah. First off, thank your parents for probably helping me with my bonus because that's where all the money was made in merchandise for sure. Yeah, I uh, I, I did not uh, create anything at that brand that I didn't first inherit. It was already a fantastic culture. That thing started in 1971. I got there in 91. So it already been around for 20 years. But, you know, these original hard rockers who are, you know, and they I say this affectionately because they would agree to it. They're freaks of nature. It's tattoos and body piercings and mohawks and colored hair and stuff that was happening before it became popular, but, you know, had a really good philanthropic arm. There wasn't a single 
you know, event, whether it was live music or some catering event that didn't have some sort of a philanthropic charitable component. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that these people were so unique and so unusual, the most interesting collection of humans I'd ever seen on the planet, yet they had a sense of urgency and attention to detail and a work ethic that was just unparalleled. And so, you know, these are people I like to say that became the island of misfit toys. They, they weren't loved and played with wherever they came from, but they found a home, they found an island of people that just had this like mind of creating unbelievable, authentic experiences. And I just fell in love with the culture and the brand. So the first part of your question is I I inherited it. I found it. I think it was sort of my responsibility once I got into a role where I could impact and influence the entire organization. I just didn't want to screw that thing up. I just wanted to perpetuate it and keep it going for the next guy. You know, I wound up being there 21 years in charge of all training, staff, management, our corporate university, manuals, videos, e-learning, whatever it was. And I got to travel the world on the company's dime, look and say and be and do whatever I wanted to. It was awesome. And to be honest with you, Lord, if I could do what I'm doing now and still work there, I probably would. It was it was just that unique type of company. And I can't even imagine going from there and working for another company. At this point, I can't, I can't ever work for another brand. Um, they've ruined it for me. The only step that I had was to go do my own thing as an entrepreneur. Now, I don't want to say that amongst all of your other audience members. I'm sure they work for some fantastic companies, but that one was pretty special. Well, I am someone who also got my dream job for an, uh, a special, really cool brand, really young. It was actually not my first job out of college, but my second. So uh, when I went to work for the PGA Tour, it, I felt a lot the same, right? There was this this iconic brand that had the philanthropic arm. You know, they raised, I think when I was there, we celebrated 1 billion raised for charity and then wow. 2 billion quickly after that. And it was such a an honor and a pleasure. And it was it was somewhere that people want to work. And as you're talking about Hard Rock and you're talking about a global brand that yeah. people are coming here because they start to identify, oh, I am at one of the misfit toys. I do belong on this island. Um, and I'm a fan of the brand, therefore I want to go work for and and bring this to life. Could you see that come to play? I mean, you could probably really tell the people who wanted to be there because they aligned with the brand values, they aligned with that identity, and they were happy to kind of what whatever role that they were in. Abel, can you talk about like some of those experiences, maybe yeah. somebody that you met that that really embodied the brand? Yeah, I think, you know, in the heyday, it was probably even more so, you know, maybe some people because the brand's over, I think, 55 years old, some people maybe would say it's a little bit tarnished, it's been around too long, some people don't even think about it, but it's still really, really fantastic, depending on who's working in the business, because that's how I define culture is, I just think it's a collection of humans, that's all it is, and they all have some unique behaviors, and some of those behaviors are, you know, awesome, and some of them not so much, so I think my very first day is where I realized it was a pretty unique, unbelievable, stellar company. I mean, I, I clearly remember my day one orientation. Now, I didn't have super long hair. I had hair to my shoulders, which already was unusual because I was mowing grass. So you could get away with looking however. But in a restaurant environment, I just remember in that orientation, there were 90 decibels of Zeppelin blaring in my ear. You know, Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstein guitar, this red, white, and 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 black thing that you could literally touch. It was not in a frame. You could touch that thing. Uh, the guy who was doing the orientation also had hair below his shoulders, and he had sunglasses on for like the whole the whole orientation. I couldn't tell if he was sleeping, if he was high, if he was both, if he was trying to be cool. I don't know. But for me, it was just a, a I don't know how to describe it, like a sensory mosh pit. Again, when you get past all the glitz and the glamour and the fun and the sound and the music, and you get to the heart of the people, which is really what your question is about, it was just the greatest people on this planet. And they all worked hard. And they were just, they were ravenous about making sure that they were just going to slake people. They were just all day long rocking people's face off. And, and you know, now you have to teach that. But when you had some hungry people in the early 90s that said, I can look at this customer, this guest right now and try and figure out. What will it require to rock their world? Is it quiet and subtle and cool? And, and maybe I need to be a lot quicker and use their name and eye contact, you know, all the stuff we were taught. Or 
Do I need to come over the top? Do I need to just absolutely be grandiose and loud and move at blazing speed just because I want to? And, and that's not what they were expecting. You get a whole bunch of wins off of that. And for whatever reason, people fell madly in love with a brand that they just would continue to come back. And that would help all the other cafes around the world. So, you know, yeah, I, I think I can eloquently say back then, it really was about the people working. If they were wearing the badge, the logo, if they were representing the company, I felt pretty good about where we were because, you know, training was in place, make sure we were consistent, but you almost didn't need it. Now, you probably need it. You know, you need to make sure the guardrails are in place and somebody's not going to open mouth and insert foot and get us in trouble or me in jail or get a suit or whatever it is. But yeah, I, that that culture is probably why my very first book and why I even started talking about culture in the first place. My life is different because I was just dunked in the spirit of rock and roll and it was fun. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. It really does. I'm I'm listening to you talk about, you know, the culture giving employees permission to show up to the customers in a in an appropriate way. So obviously understanding that and then looking at it fast forward, you know, over the last 10 to 20 years where we've been able to use data to personalize experiences. And now it's actually expected as a consumer, whether you go into a restaurant, whether you book a hotel room, right? These, there's so much of this quote unquote surprise and delight that's happened, but also just, I think, a, a higher expectation of kind of that personalized approach and experience. If everybody is coming at it from like a kind of a higher bar, right? Then how do you coach or tell people from stage what, what do they have to do to kind of get to that customization and really break through some of that noise to, to get in front of their audience? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, to be honest with you, I do agree. I think the standards have been raised. Good is no longer good enough. You know, it's, I, I've always been a fan of I'll shoot for perfection, but I'll settle for excellence. I won't go any lower than that. And I just think that that bar is now high in a lot of ways. And, and unfortunately, that's part of the problem. I just feel like there's a confluence of events and it probably came out of the pandemic as well, where I see that, you know, Guests, customers are getting more and more frustrated these days. They have no problem in speaking out about it. They do have high expectations, but now they're way more verbal. They're way more vocal and sometimes even venomous. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's really tough. But on the flip side, if you had a really awesome, fantastic culture, if you'd hired the right people, not 100%, let's just say at least the majority are there, you're not going to have any issues. But if you already were ensconced in a bunch of mediocrity, or maybe people were just a little bit slower when it came to the speed of service or lack of attention to detail or not really wanting to smile or have a personality, you're exposed. You know, you're now a lip syncer. And unfortunately, the more people that you've populated around me, whether I'm a rock star and I'm looking at all these other employees or I'm a leader and this is what you gave me, I inherited this business that now I've got to go out there and figure out some things to do. And I can. I'll focus on communication and training and rewarding and recognizing and inspiring. And I'll do all that stuff. I'll communicate. I will do everything I can. But all the best training in the world is not going to help a bad hire. And so I feel like there's a little bit of an issue where the expectations are really high. There's more businesses than ever out there. You have more choices than ever before, both online or in person. But yet there are still companies out there that are not taking a moment to sit back and think strategically. What can we do to absolutely crush this? How can we get better today than we do before? Unfortunately, they're just working on the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts, and they wind up, in my opinion, working in the business and never working on the business. So, you know, I hear what you're saying. Expectations are high, but unfortunately, there's just so much mediocrity out there. If you're at all focused on this, you will leapfrog over everybody else. You, you'll become world beaters if that's what you want. Sure. Yeah. So I think that is a really important, like those people. And again, kind of going back to that, the intro, right, is these people who you share an email domain with are actually your first line of, they're your artillery, but they're also like your biggest advocate. So if you can empower them, if you make, and it starts from that hiring, it goes into the training and empowering them to present and align with the brand values. You have yeah. to understand what those are, right? And you have to you have to understand what that means. It's a completely different, if I put my marketing hat on, it's a completely different stakeholder audience 
that yeah. you have to create a completely different design, a different affinity journey for your employee and the new employee versus the new manager versus the someone who's been there for and feels like I know what's going on. I've been here for 15 or 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't tell me to try to change anything. Um, these are all then very different ways that you have to kind of cultivate their inf- their affinity, help them align with the brand, help them understand it. So when I think about brand to fan approach, it's, you know, a lot of the time we're talking about the service side. What are you doing to to tell good stories on the other side of the business? But um, like you said, if we pay just a 10% of attention to like, how do we get this right internally? Then that feels like it's a way to be, uh, you know, a game changer for your organization. Uh, well, and and you're making a great point too. I think, you know, not just the marketing hat, but if you're a leader in the business, if you're actually running the joint, you're, you're in complete control. It's marketing switch, finance switch, ops switch, HR switch, whatever, right? Yeah, and you got to be somewhat of an expert or knowledgeable enough in all those areas or at least surround yourself with people who can do that. My hat obviously skews more toward human resources, you know, because training and development for the majority of my career reported up through that group. And I think you're making a great point that you, there's probably nothing worse than us spending a ton of dollars and beating on your chest and marketing how awesome the company, the brand is only to put people in an environment that's just meh, you know, or, or even worse than that. And, and again, a lot of that stuff, I don't think happens with a, a process, a tool, a product, you know, I think unbelievably great service trumps everything. It trumps product, service, uh, you, you know, uh, environment. It, it trumps technology, whatever it is. That great experience, and I guess all of those things make up the experience. I said service, but service is the thing I think that that crushes everything else. And so that doesn't happen by accident. That all happens, in, in my opinion, because of learned behavior. So you know, the root cause until we get into AI or robotics, you know, or we get into cloning or whatever is going to come down the road, we need to make sure that we have awesome humans who actually care about what it is that they're doing, that they can bring the thunder when it comes to an experience. And so, you know, you you can mask it with a lot of things. You can go, man, you're convenient. Your location's awesome. The product is fantastic. I love the fit and finish. I love everything you have. But if you treat me like just mediocre or less, then I'm less likely to probably come back. You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this. As you're out in the world listening to the Brand to Fan show, look up and start to count the number of team hats, t-shirts, pullovers, and jerseys you see. Once you start to see them, sports logos and team colors are seemingly everywhere. Well, this is exactly why I decided to build FanWagon, the web's re-commerce marketplace for buying, discovering, and reselling your sports fanware, be it vintage or just last season's jersey. Fanwagon aims to serve both buyers and sellers at the intersection of sustainability and fandom and create a personalized and easy experience for second fan fashion. I'd love for you to go check it out today at F-A-N-W-A-G-N. Dot com. That's fanwagon.com. I'll see you there. Now back to brand to fan. Here's Lauren Teague. Customers today are more verbal and vocal than ever. If they have a meh experience, they're going to talk about it. If they have a stellar experience, they're going to tell everybody about it. I actually got, we were joking about this, my friend and I, um, I got some reviews from being on stage last week. And I got one of those reviews that, like I said, do you have any feedback for the speaker? And it just said, eh. Oh. And I was like, this is interesting. But the tool I use, I can go in and see five stars, five stars, like five, five, fives across the board. And even like wrote something else that was good. But then that feedback was, and I was like, is that a response to the question? Do you have feedback for the speaker? Or is that how you felt about the presentation? But I was like, five stars, eh. Like feels okay to me. Like I don't know. I don't well, know. And that's that's part of the issue too. I know what you were saying about math. People, you know, if it's just middle of the road and it's it, it's completely forgettable, I'm not even sure people are giving feedback anymore. Like I think most people today, especially with the power of social media, I think for the most part, people only talk about those companies that rock and the ones that suck. Like those are the ones they're going to scream at. The ones in the middle of the road, if it's a mech. I don't even know if they mention it anymore. I think they just, 
they vote with their feet, they vote with their wallet or their purse or whatever, and just don't spend money and they, they never come up again. So that's even worse. When p- somebody just puts meth on some feedback tool, you're like, hmm, like, and, and at least somebody said something, but I don't know if that helps you at all, you know, to get any better. I'd rather them say, this was bad, this was horrible and whatever. Now I got an action plan. I, I, I wouldn't want to see that, but I'd much rather that than I get the ability to fix it than just mediocre. I'm not sure I'm going to come in here, especially if it's a premium experience and you're spending some dough. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in fairness, like I got a 98% like this was a memorable thought. So I'm okay with that one meh. But um, you're right in that, you know, if your business is not is ordinary, it's forgettable, right? If your business is ordinary, you're not growing fans. You've got some followers. Sometimes they leave you a little heart on social media, right? That's not super fun. If someone comes to you and they're like, hey, Jim, because I'm, they, they're coming to me now and saying, hey, Warren, how do we build a unique brand? How do we build a beloved brand? We're afraid we are a little ordinary. What are a couple of things that you might tell them to say, like, here's here's how to start moving that into a unforgettable direction? Exactly. And and as you're saying that, I remember uh, when I was writing my my last book, which is Service at Rocks, the subtitle I really wanted to focus on because you know, I've used every iteration of the word rock or rock and roll, culture that rocks, leadership that rocks, building a rock star team, whatever it's got to be. You just say service that rocks. I think people go, okay, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. But the subtitle is exactly what you're saying. It's creating unforgettable experiences and turning customers into fans. So it fits in perfectly with the show. I, I just think nowadays, people telling me that something is fine or good or okay those words, in my opinion, they just scream of mediocrity. And I want to avoid that at all costs. You know, just, you know, pe- people need more than just vanilla. You know, vanilla is great, but people need a little bit of Rocky Road. They need some chocolate, sprinkle something in their life than just same old, same old that everybody else does. When that happens, you will become unforgettable. If the dude next door isn't going to do it and you're willing to stick your neck out and try something unique, even if it doesn't work, I think you get credit. You get some W's with that. Yeah. And it's it's interesting now because everybody can take that step and it could be on TikTok. It could also be oh, yeah. in your neighborhood community, right? You could open the door and give free ice cream for an afternoon. Like you can do something that's memorable or sparks interest that is actually like even low cost, high impact, right? I'm totally. I'm thinking about like my local grocery store who has been named you know, best employer in town. And they're, they put that, that right next to, we have, we're hiring for three positions, not putting that in a, like an act of desperation. We have to fill these positions, but like we're the best employer in town. If if you can show that and demonstrate it and, and walk that as, you know, you're going to fill those positions as quickly as they have to turn over in a, in an industry like that. So, yeah, it reminds me, uh, you know, of a couple brands, you know, I, I, you're familiar with Bucky's, the convenience. Yeah. That's now the largest convenience store in the United States. Every time they open one up, it becomes bigger and bigger. But, you know, they actually put their employee benefits on a sandwich board sitting right outside the front whenever people are walking in. And so they know that that culture is so important to get the right people. They're willing to put all of it out there. And if it's too low, they're going to get beaten up. But if it's too high, you know, unfortunately, they're also probably going to get beaten up by some people. Because there'll be a clamoring, but they have no problem in hiring people. And I love that. But even in the grocery store, see old Johnny the Bagger story, right? Somebody who just writes a little note and throws it at the bottom of the bag. And some people may see it. Some people won't when they're taking out their groceries. But those that do and get a little bit of a serotonin, you know, pep in their step because somebody just appreciated them with some little phrase, little to no cost initiatives. Those things are huge. Now, the costly one, working at Hard Rock, I'll just go back to them for a second. They don't do this anymore, but they used to for 35 years, I think. Every single employee at 10 years, every single one of them would get a Rolex watch, all of them. I don't care what they did, dishwasher, busser, housekeeper, everybody got a Rolex watch. At 20 years, you got diamond upgrades on the face. At 25, a trip for two, anywhere in the world where there's a hard rock for an entire week. Now, when you're sitting in orientation, you hear something like that, you're like, what? Seriously? It's almost sort of like a, a throwaway joke. They can't believe it. They, If they make it to six years is the number that we figured out, they will not leave. They will stay. Even if we don't want them, they will stay 
for the 10 years to at least get the Rolex. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, not that you, and of course, Hard Rock buys these in bulk. So it does bring the cost down, but it's an actual Rolex with the Hard Rock logo on the back end. I go, what hospitality company, which is also very rare, can keep somebody for 10 years? That's not sure. the reason why people stay, but if they've already fallen in love with the company, that's just a nice little kudo. And believe me, people will talk about that. Once you get your Rolex, you, that's on everybody's lips. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's on everybody's wrist. It's on everybody's lips. And if you know to look, right? If you were yeah. an employee or a past employee and you see that, like someone's rocking their Rolex, then you know, right? And it's a, it's a kind of a secret language. That's Absolutely. Right. It's a huge part of it. Well, you mentioned Bucky's and also we've been talking about hard rock and we've been talking about my local my local neighborhood, since I live in a quite a small town and we're on a first name basis with every bakery in town, thanks to my husband and my nice. children. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, is there another brand story or someone that you're, you know, following right now that that kind of has uh, engaged their fans on a level that you're like, I have to tell this story. I have to point to this. Like, I want to see how this develops. Yeah, one I know from a distance. I mean, uh, I'm sure most people probably know the Savannah Bananas by now. I mean, the baseball team that's out there trying to do something so completely different. They're revolutionizing baseball. The only way they could do it is start their own league. And I think there's three or four teams, and it is flat out a hoot. They're sold out at least six months in advance for every single game. You know, it's all time. There's foul balls that if the fans catch it, the person's out. They're doing all kinds of dances. Like, I love everything about that story. And the guy who started the thing, Jesse Cole, who makes his rounds, not only as a speaker, but he's on a lot of podcasts. His story is amazing. And what he's trying to do, I think, is going to revolutionize sports when it eventually really catches on versus this sort of niche thing. The other one I personally know, like you said, there's a restaurant that's probably about 20, 30 minutes for me in a little township called Gotha. Uh, The name of the restaurant is called Yellow Dog Eats. And the owner, who's sort of a throwback chef, again, long hair, handlebar mustache, um, you know, went to the Culinary Institute of America. He knows this stuff for sure. And he will spend a lot of time talking about how much time it took to make his pulled pork that particular day. But he might also be spending time about clamoring about why he fights with the church across the street because he can't do wine in a glass. But this guy... He creates a moment. I already love, I love the product. I love this environment. Everything about it is so boutique-ish and so cool. And it's sort of a, it's a great secret that I love bringing my friends to. But everybody that I take, I have to whisper in their ear before we walk in and go, listen, this chef, his name is Fish, Fish Morgan. He's going to hug you. He's going to kiss you. He's going to talk and say stuff that is going to come out of his mouth that you are not going to be used to. And that's just part of the charm. And sure enough, he does it every single time. And and if he's not there, it's not the same experience as people are unbelievable. Like, I love everything about it. But the thing that really makes it for me, and I constantly talk about it and send people there, is this one person. And yeah, he owns the place. Yes, he's the chef. Yes, he's only there half the time. But when he's there, man, it's magic. And, And I just imagine, how could I get more people to be around him and think, I need to create that environment, or I need to go and hire more people like that and put them in my environment. When that happens, it'll spread like wildfire. So Yellow Dog Eats, that's uh, right now, that's one of my fave, fave hangouts. Um, I am going to like book a new flight to Orlando next time I'm in the neighborhood. I We are going. I think that's, that's so cool. And of course, now I have to meet him. Um, yeah. And yeah, we can, we can hug all day long. Uh, I think that's really cool. I'm going to take this back to, you know, you were talking earlier about it kind of starts with the hiring and it starts with the people. Yeah. If if you've inherited a team or you're coming in and you're building a team, what can you instill a little bit of that? Like mm-hmm. dig into your training magic and like, I got these people that maybe not the people I would have chosen or like where we're trying to move to. How do I get them on board? How do I get them connected to kind of the brand identity that we're going for? Yeah, great question. And I don't want people to get me wrong. I mean, I definitely, my entire career was smack dab in the middle of the employee life cycle. I had no say so on how people came on board or how they left. I will do the best with what you give me. Now, going back into the early 90s, I inherited these awesome people that if they even left the organization, I knew there wasn't really going to be a problem. Whoever was making the hiring decisions already knew what we were looking for. You fast forward 5, 10, 15, 20 years, a little bit different. And so 
if somebody were, if I said, I'm going to go back into the, the corporate business world, I would probably be a training and development guy. I'll be VP of training. I will inherit the business. And so after I sort of looked across and, and, and said, what is it that we need to, to get to? If I know we're here, but I know there's a gap between whether it's the behaviors, whether it's results, maybe it is a lot of infrastructure. Maybe these are awesome people and they just need some guidance. I will definitely put on my training and development hat. Here comes the awesome employee handbook, the e-learning, the videos, one-on-one coaching. I'm going to do great training classes. Like I'm going to do everything in my power, to your point, to train, develop, communicate, even if I can talk to the people that are in charge of rewarding and recognizing what is everything we can do. I'm a process guy, believe it or not, even though we operated in the gray at that company quite a bit. I think if I stepped into a company today, most of them would probably have their act together with job descriptions and performance appraisals and all of that stuff. I would still look at all that and go, what are we actually measuring? And if we're not matching up, like you said earlier, to the company's values, if we weren't rewarding people the right way, if maybe nobody had been evaluated in any way, shape, or form in 18 to 24 months, if there'd been no love shown to them, some of these small little things will actually make some pretty big, you know, I think results. It, it might even be a fulcrum to completely change the culture. But then I would still go, once one person leaves me, I don't care if we take them out or if they leave on, on their own, we have to suck it up and leave the position open long enough to get the right one. So I would still err in favor of stopping the bleeding and making sure that you hire the right one. And at some point, you'll have way more rock stars than you will lip syncers, people that are just flapping their gums. And then it'll be difficult if somebody slips through, you know, whoever it was that was in charge of hiring and they went through the two or three interviews, they'll be surrounded by a bunch of people who actually give a crap about the business. And those employees, in my opinion, will vote them off the island. You won't even hardly have to do that from a leadership standpoint. So it's definitely not one thing. It's yes, it's everything. But I got to pick my battles. And I would just assume I'd start at the front end of the employee life cycle from how we recruit, interview, hire, and train. Let's get that part right. Let's look at all the collateral. Who's doing the orientation? Who's doing the training? How are they certified? Like all of that stuff first, because I can't I can't take care of all of them. I'll work on it, but let me really attack that front end. And then it'll hopefully, knock on wood, it'll just get better. And, and okay. this is the hard part. From a distance, it's even tougher. Because now you're talking about a lot of businesses that have moved online, they're distance-based, people want to work from home. How do you keep that culture going? That's really what I get asked more than anything else. And that requires some real good communication because you might have to do some, although a lot of people are over doing Zoom meetings and distance-based meetings, they're still important even if you're doing one uh, a week. I think if you're the boss, you got to figure out how many phone calls can I make? Doing one phone call with someone to check up on them for five or 10 minutes, mm -hmm. that's a big deal. You just bought me for another six months is how these people think if at least somebody cares about me. So distance space is going to be harder and harder. But again, it just goes back to you really have to make sure you hire the right ones. Oh, I'm okay. I just took off my marketing hat. I put on my startup hat. I am bookmarking this episode, because as we build a team for FanWagon, my new startup, I am coming back to this one time and time again to awesome. to do that. Because um, probably being influenced by friends like you, Jim, I just know like if I'm starting a new company that I I am playing the long game with, like yeah. that culture piece is is really important to me, and it's on my top five hires. Of okay, once I get a few people in place, I want that culture piece to be done well because yeah. i had to articulate my brand values to get myself to buy into creating the business right it's, those were parts of that from the start and so if i'm that kind of founder and that kind of leader then i i have be, had people say like i don't know if you need that like up front and i was like for me for the company i want to build like yeah we have to have that up front because it's going to impact everything else that we do and who we bring to this team. Absolutely. So. And and you're going to be awesome at it because you already are that type of person. And because you're even talking about it now and you're aware of it and you're like, you know, from an entrepreneur standpoint, from a startup standpoint, I'll say that it's always easier because it's all in your mold. It's when you get down the road, when it's 10 years down the road and maybe you, you have somebody else running the thing. Maybe there's a chief operating officer. Maybe it's a lot bigger. You've got multiple people and you're not 100% in the day-to-day. -day. That's where it gets squirrely. And then for some companies, it's too late. 
they're so big that, you know, it's like the Titanic or some cruise ship trying to turn around. It takes forever. So the more that you can get it up front and then just keep your hands on it and make sure it's constantly in the vein that you want with all of the stuff that we talked about, it'll absolutely perpetuate your brand the way you want it for all time. But it does take work. There's no doubt about it. No, I, I, I got my head kind of wrapped around that, but it's like, it's one of those pieces that you're like, if I envision building a company, right. And, and that is, that is part of it. You know, that's just kind of one of those other things like building a website, check, like hiring great, great people, check, keeping great people, even more important. So um, I think lots of people, lots of listeners are going to get a lot of value out of the things that you have shared. I'm curious because you have written not just culture that rocks and service that rocks and leadership that rocks. Do you have kind of the saying or the the way to kind of tie them all together that you want to share with us as far as kind of your, that rocks viewpoint? Well, you know, I started uh, first teaching about culture and that first book uh, was about culture and it was probably my only book. It's a hardcover, it's color, it's a monumental pain in the butt, to be honest with you. But I thought, I got one book in me. I've left the company here. I'm going to put it all out there. And I think what I realized is the the main pillars of that thing were exactly the the topics that you said, leadership, service, and employee engagement. And so I went down that list and I've been deconstructing, which is not the easiest thing to do. I'm going backwards. But that first one two years ago was Leadership That Rocks. And that's really for new up and coming and you know, hopefully the, these are leaders that maybe they were a staff member and now they've just taken on their very first management or leadership role. There's not a lot of content out there. Most of the books are at a senior level standpoint. So I wrote that at a little bit of a lower level. Now, this one, the, the one I did last year, Service at Rocks, we've already talked about, that one is for anybody. I mean, it's just basic one-on-one service, but it's just replete with a lot of great stories and organizations that I have fallen in love with or they're just out there in the public domain and I've been a fan of, even if they're not something that I regularly have access to. So th- those are the the two that have come out of that. The third one, which will be called Engagement That Rocks, uh, will be out in 2024. So I think t- to your question, I think everything falls into this Culture That Rocks series. And I say that because not just the fact that culture is quite the buzzword. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants an awesome culture. The reality is a lot of companies and leaders in general don't know how to do it. They think they do. They're hanging their hat on their product, or maybe they were first to the market. Uh, maybe they're in the Fortune 500 because of the amount of sales. But but the companies that stay on that list, com store sales, year-on-year results, those are the ones that you really have to look at and go, what are they doing consistently? Where they're always on whatever list you want to look at. Sometimes I even look for the list uh, beyond that, the, the most ad, you know um, admired companies to work for. Those those resonate with me a little bit more. I don't know if it resonates with every customer out there, but I think they know when they're in a healthy environment or when it's pretty, you know, weak or toxic even. And so, you know, I will probably forever use that culture word. You and I are both speakers. I'm doing about 35, 40 engagements a year. No doubt about 80, 85% of those are my culture that rocks. Somebody may think, oh, I want leadership. Oh, I want service. I want whatever. But when it comes down to it, they're like, man, my culture, I I need to amp that thing up. So if I had to tie it all in, it's really around that word, um, which again, I'm going back to people. And if you go to the root cause, I go, it's learned behaviors. People learn everything. They learn everything from their parents, from school, from their friends, from their playground, religion, lack of religion, whatever it is. By the time you come to me as some 19-year-old kid wanting a, a job, you are the way you are. And if your natural disposition isn't to smile and have a good personality and want to be around other humans, that's that's going to be a problem for me. So I'm not saying you have to go out there and just mine for only those people. People are teachable and trainable. Some that want to change, some that want to get better, some want to learn. They just never have the opportunity wherever it is they got it from. So some employers are going to have to take a chance on some and go, I don't know, maybe they're missing a few of these, but I'm willing to because they have a great smile, I'm willing to go there because I can teach them just about anything else. I, I think there's a lot of companies that might try and do that, but some of them, man, they rely on the application, on the resume, on the CV, mm-hmm. on the experience that you have. And I'm like, man, there, there's a lot of people that are not going to have that experience. You got to give somebody an opportunity. Go for some of the other C's I talk about beyond competence. Go for character. Go for culture fit. I bet you'll have people that you're willing to follow off the cliff when you do that. 
You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this. Getting video from your phone into socials just isn't as easy as we'd like it to be. That's why I've started to use Pictory.ai. It's a powerful AI technology that allows you to create and edit and brand and share incredible videos that start either with the text of a copy that you have or video from your phone or out of Zoom. I use Pictory.ai to create all of the shareable social media videos for the Brand Fan Show. I totally recommend that you try it out. And I've got a special link for you to do so. Go to lauren.click slash make a video and create your first shareable video on Pictory.ai. That link is lauren.click slash make a video. Now back to brand to fan. I have a friend and she's actually listened to this podcast a few times. She's just in the middle of a job switch. She doesn't Mm. have a college degree. And she said, sometimes when I apply for things, it's an immediate no, because she doesn't have her college degree. Yet she has decades of executive experience with really incredible brands. She's she's like in the middle of the switch. And she's like, I've been listening to the show. I'm dropping in nuggets from what you're talking about into my interviews. And she's like, but it's too bad that some people can't see past just the CV, right? To yeah. see the the whole character. So uh, also a really good note for anybody who's um, in a management or in a hiring position that can can think of that. Jim, well, I have those been... Those are the people that you'll hire with your company when you get that thing going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it has been such a pleasure to, to talk about all these things that rock. Um, as you know, fandom rocks my world. It is literally the thing. Um, and while I am best known for my sports fandom, I love, 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 love music. So, and I know you do too. Um, I actually, we took our kids to a cake concert earlier in the summer um, for their very first concert. We taught our five and a half year old how to do the rock fingers. And once he figured out how to like coordinate his hands to do it, the whole rest of the night and probably when he woke up in the morning, he was just doing the rock on. It was amazing. I'll send you a picture. I love him already. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you the last couple of questions we ask everybody here on the Brand of Fan Show. Um, you've mentioned some great brands and, and experiences, but what are you a fan of today? What is, what is rocking your world? You know, I, it's so cliche-ish. I could talk about Chick-fil-A. I mean, they you know there are people that will throw them under the bus and other people that are just rabid fans. I am for a litany of reasons, but man, I am looking for stuff wrong every time I go there. Drive through, you know, whether I'm inside the place, hanging out with people, their product, their restrooms. You know, I look at their results. They're crushing everybody. So just from a restaurant standpoint, I just, I I really, really like that company still. And I am surprised that that we haven't stopped talking about them. Everybody brings it up. You know, it's like back in the day when we used to talk about Nordstrom's and then Disney and Starbucks, you know, Chick-fil-A just seems so cliche-ish, but I am really a fan of theirs. Um, you know, there's uh, some of our speaker friends that I've been exposed to. I, I'm going to write about a company called FurnitureDealer.net. They're in uh, Minneapolis. They work in a warehouse and basically they build websites for furniture companies. And you would think, man, that is so niche. And yet they're all busy. And the thing is populated with a bunch of Gen Z and millennials in there with company dog and ping pong table and drones flying around. And, you know, they have overnights there. It's crazy. They don't pay a ton of money, but these people absolutely love their business. So, you know, when I can find companies like that, even though I have zero desire, no need to go have a website for furniture, I can appreciate that and talk about it and try and put Mm -hmm. more eyeballs on the company. But there's, there's some restaurants and retail and even a theme park or two around here in central Florida that I am just amazed whenever I go, I've got an expectation, it's high, and yet I still have my face rocked off. And it was because of a person, not the ride, not the thing I was eating, not the bed I was sleeping on. It's because of a human. So there's plenty to choose from here in Central Florida. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you've got a couple also, I'm going to throw them in the next book, If especially if it's around engagement. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Brand of Fan Approach is all about actionable affinity, which is all about using that kind of engagement layer, whether it's creating an invitation for someone and how those how those invitations come to play. So I'll, I'll send you a couple ideas yeah, I'll take, uh, them. I'll take offline. Them. I love that your background was um, literally at Gatorland. It was one of the last places I visited before COVID hit. And yeah. I walked around and like, honestly, I hate, rep- I not all reptiles. I hate snakes. 
like yes. with a passion, passionate hate of snakes. So anytime that we were walking around maybe that kind of area in Gatorland, I started looking and reading all the signs um, and the way the sign was designed, the vernacular, the copy, like how it was written. Oh my yeah. God, it just embodied that so culture. Fun. And I use that in presentations all the time as like reflect your brain and how you show up to people. And there's no better way to do this than like this, the incredible signage that happens at Gatorland. So they do a uh, great job that my, my one scar on my finger, you won't be able to see it on the camera, but is from a boa constrictor working out there at Gatorland. I got to sell fish that people would feed the gators. I drove a little miniature train. I ate alligator meat in the snack bar every day. All of that stuff. My favorite job was working in what we called the photo area. I had to jump into a pit with a whole bunch of baby alligators. Even though they're like two and a half, three feet long, they still have razor sharp teeth. Sure. I had to pick one out, grab it, close its mouth, put duct tape around it so that people could hold it so they could hold and feel an alligator. But then I had to go into this great big snake pit and pick out the boa constrictor I wanted so that we could put that around people's necks. And one time I grabbed one and it swung around and bit me. They're not venomous, but they do have teeth, believe it or not. Oh. And I got a scar. And, I, you know, that job, my first job, I was there three years, absolutely loved it. And that was my first foray into hospitality. I'm not even sure I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that first gig. So, yeah, that was a good step. Shout out to Gatorlands. Yes. Never thought I'd be saying that on the pod, but there we go. Fourteen okay. ninety-five, half off for Florida residents. <laughs> I, just, I just made that up. I don't even know what their price is. Um, okay. So as you know, also on the Brand of Fan Show, we talk about your favorite piece of fanware. Now, I'm going to guess it's probably some music, but I think you've got a surprise for me. What's your favorite piece of fan apparel or wear that you either have today or wish was still in your closet? So I have lived my entire life in Florida. You would think uh, from a pro football standpoint, it's either the Buccaneers, the Dolphins, or the Jaguars. And uh, I grew up with the creamsicle, always losing Buccaneers. It was really tough. I became a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. And I know some people are throwing stuff at me right now. I loved it. I went through six different championships with those guys over many, many years in the 70s and the 90s. I love their uniforms. I love the, you know, always winning America's team, the cheerleaders, like everything that came with that. So I had a jersey. I had two jerseys. One that was uh, uh, Troy Aikman, which I had for probably many years. I don't have that one anymore. That one fell apart. But my favorite one was a Dak Prescott jersey. And again, it's so tough because we can't win anything. I just remember 20 years ago what those championships were like and you know, I somebody from Dallas is going to punch me. I I feel it because I'm throwing Prescott under the bus. But I wear that jersey every time I go out to eat ribs and wings and on Sundays. And and I think people are starting to get frustrated. So, you know, I still wear it. I'm proud. I'm loyal to the team. But it's tough to be a fan of my team these days. I'm not going to lie. It's a it has been a hard road. My my in-laws are all from Texas. They're from the DFW area. I hear a lot about the Cowboys. Um, I met Troy Aiken once at the masters. That was kind of a cool experience. So oh, I, I, I too was a nineties kid who like, who watched and, and cheered on the, uh, America's team when I was trying to figure out what, what football was outside of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Not so much these days. So kudos to you for still rocking your Dak. I'm jersey. trying. Who is I'm a trying. great guy, by the way, like I can, you can be a fan of Dak off the field, even if you're not, if you can't win you a game on the field. Hey, that's what so. I hear. hundred percent. People absolutely love him and he wins. I mean, the Walter Payton award he won this yep. year for philanthropic work. I get it. You know, as a fan wanting to cheer it on, it's not as tough as some, you know, baseball teams that haven't won something in 80, 90 years. I get that, but boy, it's tough. I it's tough even saying that I'm a Cowboys fan when a lot of my friends are whether it's a Commanders or Eagles or Giants fans. Well, I'll and be on the lookout on the fan wagon marketplace for uh, Cowboys gear that I can uh, send your way. So I'll send you a note if we get some good stuff. I'll be awesome. Pick it up I'll there awesome. on fan wagon. All right. I'll okay. do that. I'll do that. Great. Well, we've reached the point of the show. This is the too long, didn't listen minute. If you've been kind of running on fast forward, this is the place to stop because you want to hear these gems from Jim Knight today. Jim, you did training and development leadership at Hard Rock for over for 21 years, but it's clear from our conversation, you have always been a performer. You shared those early days of culture at Hard Rock. You were working with a group that you lovingly dubbed the Freaks of Nature, right? The Island of, of Misfit Toys, but the people together found a home, uh, built this great culture together. 
I love your definition of culture as a collection of humans and their unique behaviors. We also talked a lot about service. So how service standards have been raised, that good is not good enough anymore. And the bar is higher for everyone today than ever before. Part of that is because our customers are more verbal, more vocal, and willing to be venomous about the experiences that they have. I love how you shared unbelievably great service trumps everything else. And if you have awesome humans who care and can demonstrate that they care, that's when you provide service that rocks. We had some chuckles when we were talking about being ordinary or meh as a forgettable brand because no one talks about those. Um, But being able to take a chance and do something memorable for your business, you get points for that just for trying. And it doesn't require a high cost investment like you had. You gave us some examples there. We had some great conversation about, you know, if you're in the middle of it, what do you need to be looking for? Where are you identifying a gap that's preventing you from where you are and where you want your business to be? You gave some great recommendations about the things that to look at, the handbooks. Do you have videos? Are you coaching? Are you developing? Are you doing assessments? Are you communicating? And also made the point that in the remote work environment, the communication is so, so crucial to connect with your employees and keep them in. Um, Jim, you're the author of Culture That Rocks, Leadership That Rocks, Service That Rocks, and soon-to-be Engagement That Rocks. But for you, it all starts with culture and the learned behaviors of people and using those to your brand's advantage. What a great conversation we had on the Brand to Fan Show. Thank you so much for being here. I had so much fun and what a great wrap-up. I love it. I love that you captured all of it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If people want to find you, get the books, where is the best place to check uh, Find Jim Knight online? Yeah, probably the best place is my website, which is Knight Speaker. So that's my last name, K-N-I-G-H-T, speaker.com. You can see everything there. All roads lead through that. Perfect. All right. Well, he is Jim Knight and I am Lauren Teague. And this has been another episode of the Brand Fan Show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Brand Fan Show. I'm your host, Lauren Teague, marketing speaker, strategist, and the founder of FanWagon. You know, it means a lot to me to spend this time with you. So if you like what you're hearing, I'd love if you could drop me a note at brandtofan at teaguefc.com or message me on Instagram where I'm also teaguefc. If these brand of fan conversations resonate with you and you'd like to share this message with your audience, go to laurenteague.com to find out how I guide businesses and associations to stop chasing shiny objects and instead build for lasting affinity. The Brand Fan Show is produced by Teague FC and supported by FanWagon. Audio production is done by Brian Griggs and video editing done by Garrett Teague. Our producers are Kimberly Voorhees, Ashley Ruiz, and Carrie Hillbush. You can catch up on past episodes and guests and access bonus content by visiting brandtofan.show.